Enhance. Communities. Bracteate. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is animal news. <laughs> this is from ArsTechnica.com. The headline is, Confirmed, a duck named Ripper learned how to say, You bloody fool. <laughs> <laughs> ducks can can imitate speech this just in that's what this is about so in 1987 a researcher in australia recorded a male musk duck named ripper producing a vocalization that sounded very much like you bloody fool along with sounds resembling a slamming door and soft mumbling i did listen to the recording and it does sound like that okay Confirmed. Like, it's not, like, clear speech, but definitely sounds like well, that's what... I wouldn't expect it to be an expert. It's yeah. a duck. A second duck in the region was recorded in 2000, imitating a Pacific black duck's call. Both recordings were never analyzed in any detail until now. <laughs> the original researcher, Peter J. Fulliger, has teamed up with biologist Karen Kate to perform the first in-depth analysis of those recordings. That analysis has confirmed that Ripper's distinctive vocalizations are indeed a form of mimicry, likely the first comprehensively documented example of musk ducks being able to mimic sounds. There have only been a handful of confirmed uh, reports of this ability in animals. So not just parrots, but also, do you know what the other animals are that can do this? Um, Quiz time? (laughs) Or uh, trivia time, I should say. Uh... Aren't some of the corvids, like, known to be able to reproduce sounds, like crows and ravens? Yeah, I also thought that, but that's not on the list they have in this article. uh, Yeah, I don't know then. Um, Whales, dolphins, bats, elephants, songbirds, and hummingbirds. Really? What sound does a hummingbird even make? I don't know. That's what the article said. (laughs) I didn't didn't do secondary confirmative research, but yeah, don't hummingbirds just like buzz around? Like, I don't know. (laughs) That's what I always thought, but maybe they have a song. I don't know. I don't know. If you're a hummingbird, Um, uh, write in, let us know. (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, The researchers have described their findings in a new paper published in the journal Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society B. So... If you want to read the full article, (laughs) they didn't make it a day. Ducks talking. Uh, If you want to read more, you can go check it out there. Yeah, so ducks can mimic sounds just like parrots. Well, this species, so far as we as as far as we know. Okay. Welcome, welcome to the land of the speaking ducks. Yeah. My first story is technology news. from CNBC. Twitter begins testing communities, a new feature for connecting people with shared interests. Uh, and I mostly brought mm-hmm. this because it, it, uh, it, it's uh, evidence of my theory that all social media sites are the same social media yeah. site. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're just all like conglomerating into the same... They're all just becoming the same exact thing. ...thing, just repeats of the same thing. Yep. 
so Twitter announced on Wednesday it's testing a new feature called Communities that will allow users to talk about specific topics with others who share the same interest. If it sounds familiar, <laughs> well, well, keep going. It, it, it uh, does sound familiar. So users who join a community can tweet specifically to others in that community as opposed to all of their followers. Mm-hmm. And the only people <laughs> who can reply to community tweets will be other members of those communities. Oh, you don't say. Hmm. 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 <laughs> uh, the new feature is similar to Facebook groups, Discord servers, Reddit subreddits, and all social media. <laughs> <laughs> the last one's my own commentary, but <laughs> it's like they're all just doing the. They're just, yeah. That's called a forum. Yeah. They're just, right? They're just, yeah. yeah. They're just adding features that other that other things have. They also added or announced recently that they're going to have super follows, which are like, it's basically like a subscription service where you can pay to like get people's private tweets. I get like not private, like that, Wait, what? that only go to the people that you, that like subscribe to them. Oh, so, it can be like so you can content. Okay. So there's specific, like, so you can, and it's called like a super follow, which is, there's other sites that are for that already as well, but uh, what is that's kind of like a, a, a Patreon type idea, yes, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so unlike the competitors, however, all tweets within communities will be visible to the public. So that is kind of different because you can have like a private group on Facebook, mm-hmm. whereas here, like anybody can be like, I want to see what's going on in the dog community and you can see all the tweets in there. Okay. Um, and like reply to them and stuff. So, uh, uh, the first uh, Twitter communities at launch are focused on dogs, weather, <laughs> sneakers, skincare, and astrology. So you've got a wide spectrum. Right. I don't know why they're excluding cats, but uh, yeah, what? I why just dogs? Yeah, I mean, it should have con- just been pets. I'm going to continue my boycott of Twitter that I've been doing since I created my account <laughs> years ago. Uh, communities will have moderators who can invite other Twitter users into the group, so like not just anyone can join. It sounds like, um, but anyone can see this stuff. So it's almost like kind of curated in a way, I guess. Okay. Uh, community creation will be limited at first, but Twitter said it will allow more people to create communities in the coming months. So. So they're not eventually. like they're not fully launching it like anyone can create anything yet. Right. Yet. They're just gonna launch with these initial ones and, and see how it goes and, and okay. grow from there. So Yep, it's uh it's Facebook groups on Twitter. Yep, that's exactly so, what it sounds like. Good job, Twitter. You did that. Hopefully it doesn't go the way to fleets and that it just immediately is like, it's removed, immediately like a gets month after. <laughs> I mean I don't I actually don't think so. I think that people would use yeah, that. I could see the value in it. One of the examples in the article was also like a plant lovers community. I was like, I'd be interested in seeing plant Twitter. Plant Twitter? What do people tweet about with plants? Uh, I, mean, I mean, that's a... Probably pictures of plants. I, yeah. I that was actually a silly question. I'm sure there's plenty of yeah, things to tweet about. There's a lot of plants. aspects to plants. Uh, leaves, stems, for example. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my next story is world news. This is from artnews.com. Wait. <laughs> yeah, but it's not about art. Well, could it be considered? It's about something that's going to end up in a museum, but I will. All now right. I'm just teasing you. Okay. <laughs> the headline is, 1,500-year-old gold treasure trove found by Danish man with metal detector. 
That's Whoa. like the dream of anyone with a metal detector. I know. That's exactly what I thought when I saw this. I'm like, this guy hit the jack. This guy bought a metal detector 30 years ago. I'm just making this up. And he finally hit the jackpot. It's finally it's like, his uh, dream. It's not another nail. Um, so a man in Denmark has discovered a cache of 1,500-year-old gold objects using a run-of-the-mill metal detector. The treasure was found in a small town about 150 miles from Copenhagen. It's like just out in the countryside somewhere. Okay. Uh, the cache includes coins from the Roman Empire, as well as medallions known as brachiates, which is a new word that I learned this week. I'm learning it too. According to Wikipedia, a bracteate, I keep pronouncing it wrong. I don't know. This word is hard to pronounce. <laughs> The spelling, I don't know, bracteate is a single-sided gold medal worn as jewelry. And this article mentioned that they were ornamental pieces actually sewn into clothing. Like, I think like a like a brooch okay. nowadays. Like that kind of thing. But it was actually so like sewn into your... Okay. I was like, for a split second, my broken brain was like, single, what's the other side? Thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be... You can only see it from one side. <laughs> you hold it in your hand, just that side up, always. Yeah. Um, no, you like they would like sew it into their stuff, so it was like or, like golden like ornamental things. Oh, okay, nice. So that that there were a bunch of those in this cache. Like that's what he found. Let's bring that back. That's what fashion. Okay, needs. yeah, just gold medallions just stapled to your shirt. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want it to be stapled. I don't want it to be like hot glued or something. So that yeah, put that in, makes more sense. You know? Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So the objects found in this cache are going to be put on display at the, I, know, I don't know how to pronounce this, I apologize, Veilmusern Museum in Denmark um, in February of next year, okay. hopefully. So they're going to have a whole display of this, and it's really exciting. That, that is that's really cool. I, yeah. <laughs> it's just found in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I wonder how many times somebody, like... Has bought a metal detector and then actually found something. Yeah. With it. I know. Like something I want to see some statistics on value. that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know we've talked about this before. But I've always wanted to find an arrowhead. Oh, me too. But I know you can't do that with a metal detector, obviously. But like, right, yeah. I've just always wanted to find an arrowhead. Never, like, never they found have one. to be around. I've never found one. Yeah, they've already they've, one they found them all already. That's probably the problem. <laughs> I have to believe that there's some still out there. <laughs> My next story is animal news. This is from Gizmodo. Giant half-billion-year-old predator fossil pulled out of Canadian Rockies. So it's a fossil of like an animal that was a predator, not the predator from the Predator movies. (laughs) I realized reading that 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 was possibly misleading. They did not find predator. That would be horrifying. Um, Uh. During the Cambrian explosion over 500 million years ago, the oceans teemed with weird creatures, one of which was just chiseled out of the Canadian mountains and is now one of the largest animals known from the time period. Um, I was really excited when I saw, like, giant, largest, and I'll get to it later, but it's not that big. (laughs) Um, But for its time, it was very large. (laughs) Uh, So the animal is Titanochorus genesi. Genesi? Genesi? I don't know. And it was a member of a primitive arthropod group called radiodonts. 
It had multifaceted eyes, a ring-shaped mouth, like kind of on the bottom of its body. It kind of looks a little bit like a big horseshoe crab, but instead of like the tail of a horseshoe crab, it has like fin, like, like, it's like you glued, uh, like one of those flat sea worms to the back of it that kind of like undulates as it goes through the water. They have like a, like a, a... Digital rendering of one. Yeah, I, I'll show you what it kind of, what it kind of looks like. Okay, uh, but like the mouth is underneath it, has claws on the front as well to like snap up prey, um, a trail of flaps for swimming, and a head covered in a massive carapace, kind of like a like a horseshoe crab. Okay, um, the fossil's morphology and the circumstances of its discovery were published Wednesday in Royal Society Open Science. <laughs> Ooh, the names of these. Things. Yeah, I know. Uh, They're great. I wish we'd like when we started reporting on things from journals, just started a list of <laughs> all of the journals that we've ever talked about. Um, yeah, we should have done that. Yeah. Oh well. It's too, oh well. Too late now. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. It can never happen. It can never happen. It can never happen. Uh, the team found the fossil in Canada's Burgess Shale, a stretch of rock in western North America that has yielded many well-preserved remains of the animals that lived during the Cambrian period which was 541 million to 485 million years ago uh, when the area was covered by a sea. Uh, The shale preserves even the soft tissue remains of those Cambrian creatures, meaning that paleontologists can study even tiny uh, species from that time in greater detail than they can uh, many dinosaurs because they were just super Mm -hmm. well-preserved. And finally, the most impressive feature of T. Ganesi however you pronounce that, is its size. Uh, Most animals that inhabited the Cambrian oceans were smaller than a human pinky finger, but this one was about a foot and a half long. So, Yeah, that's a little anticlimactic. giant in our terms, but for the time, time, compared to everything like being the size of a pinky finger, that's a foot and a half is enormous. Yeah, yeah. They were saying like if everything else was like, the size of a human, this thing would have been like 40 feet long. <laughs> wow. Like proportionally speaking. Yeah. So. It's a good way to think about it. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool looking thing too. I want to show you. Yeah. It looks a little bit alien ish, a little bit. Um, you've played the half life games, right? I have uh, a little bit like a head crab. That's a front view oh. of it. Um, it does look kind of like a head crab. Oh, okay. Yeah, that looks... What does that remind me of? That reminds me of something. I can't put my finger on it. Oh, it almost like reminds me of kind of like a stingray, but it's like like a two-part body instead of Yeah, one. it's kind of like a stingray with a hard shell on top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those would be cool if they existed still. All right, my next story is technology news. This is from sciencealert.com which is becoming one of my favorite websites, actually. (laughs) Uh, The headline is, Google's incredible new photo AI makes zoom and enhance a real thing. What? Yes. Finally. Oh, my gosh. Cop shows on TV are going to be so exciting. (laughs) I know. So I was going to say, like, you definitely, you know the trope of, like, crime shows and stuff where they, like, they're at the computer (laughs) looking at a license plate or somebody's face or something, and, and the detectives just, like, zoom in on it. Zoom in again. Okay, enhance. And then all of a sudden you can just see this clear picture of the person's face. Which is not like, how pixels so fake. work. <laughs> That's not how pixels work. That's not how images work. That's just not possible. Until now. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so there is an AI that can do this that Google made. I actually have heard of this concept like being researched in like the AI world, but it mm-hmm. sounds like they actually came up with something that's like robust. I don't know. Okay. So the technique is called natural image synthesis by Google. And in this particular scenario, they're calling it image super resolution. And the the tool or whatever lets you start off with a small blocky pixelated photo and then you it outputs something clear and like sharp and natural looking of that version of that photo. Okay. Um you know, and they said like it might not match the original exactly, but it's going to be pretty close. Like close enough to at least look like a real image because mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be possible for that technology to match the image exactly because it's making up things. Right, it's so, just a guess based on whatever right. it's been trained on. Exactly. So how this article described what's happening which isn't very much in layman's terms, is that the picture details are being added artificially into the picture that the camera didn't originally capture using super smart guesswork based on other similar looking images. Hmm. And I'm going to describe that in a little more detail. So what they did is they took clear images and they artificially made them like pixelated and noisy. And then they took those pair image pairs and that's how they trained the network. So they had, so the network had like, the right answer of a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff. So they, when I say this, it's probably actually this. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So that's how they trained it. Mm-hmm. And that worked. And now it works. <laughs> <laughs> now they can it, take like an unknown image and, and zoom yes. and enhance. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that's so cool. <laughs> because maybe, I don't know, in the future when cop shows do that, it won't, it'll actually be, it'll actually be a true. real. It'll actually be true. <laughs> I don't know. Quick, use, what was it called? Like, image enhanced by Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quick, yeah. TM. <laughs> um, uh, image super resolution by Google. <laughs> they have yeah, to cite know. the full name say, every yeah. time. It's going to be like Google product placement in like every single cop show. No, they've actually, they've used um, AI similarly to enhance the graphics of like old video games. Oh. That use like a lower resolution texture. They kind of trained it in a similar way so that it would like, oh, this is like probably a flower and it would like enhance that like yellow pixel to yeah. make it like actually look that like a flower. That makes sense. So they've done that for some like older games that have like a pre rendered background that's just lower resolution, which is kind of cool too. Yeah. Which is like a, which is a really cool application of it, I think. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's a, that's a great application of AI. <laughs> it's just kind of like, yeah, let, let's quicken up this thing that would normally take a lot of processing power or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My next story is random local news. This is from USA Today. Former Walmart president reveals plan for $400 billion utopian city in the U.S. <laughs> desert. <laughs> Now you thought that, that sentence took, yeah, was going. No, that, that sentence just went in a direction that I was totally not expecting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, no, this this guy's super rich, so he wants to build a city in the desert. This sounds like the setting of some type of dystopian video oh, game. Oh, absolutely. That is, the, is, it, is it weird that that's the first thing? I no, not at all. Of. It definitely feels very sci-fi, very, like, post-apocalyptic, but, like, the point is it's supposed to be a utopia, which... That never goes never, right. Yeah, so, if um, we can believe all of the movies and the video games and stuff, it usually takes some type of turn for the worst. I mean, yeah. maybe, I mean, has anyone really ever tried that in real life, though? I don't know. So, not well, personally. 
We'll see if maybe. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's work. actually tried to build like. Well, people like have a utopian tried, city. People <laughs> have tried to create like utopian societies, but like this is talking about like building like a full city, like with yeah. skyscrapers and suburbs and that's, stuff. That's in a like place isolated that from had nothing. Yeah, right. Not, just in the not middle necessarily of nowhere. isolated from society, oh, but okay. like kind of. I'll, anyway, I'll yeah, I'll let you the explain. Details, yeah. Uh, billionaire and former Walmart president Mark Lore helped plan or outline a plan for a $400 billion metropolis tabbed the new city in America to be built in the desert if properly funded. Uh, it hasn't actually been funded yet as part of the thing. It's just ah. something that, well, he could probably single-handedly afford. Uh, Lore's mission statement for the city of Tolosa, it has a name already, um, <laughs> is to create a more equitable and sustainable future that can become a blueprint of future generations. Uh, That's backed by a 150,000-acre design proposal with eco-friendly architecture, sustainable energy production, and a drought-resistant water system. So it all sounds good. Yeah. Like, it all sounds like it's coming from a cool, groovy place. Um, a fo- <laughs> a focal- <laughs> I haven't used groovy in a while. Yeah, I'm like, when was the last time I, I used that's the, the word appropriate groovy? appropriate use of it. Um, a focal point of the city imagined to house around 5 million people will be its transportation with Tolosa's streets prioritizing bikes and pedestrians as well as slow-moving autonomous cars as opposed to, like, gas consumer okay. vehicles. Um, it's also unclear what American desert is being targeted for the project. The, the website says it could be Nevada, Utah, Idaho, Arizona, Texas, or the Appalachian region, which I didn't realize had deserts, oh. um, are all re- uh, they're all options according to the website. Like I said, uh, when I tried to visit the website, it gave me a 500 error, so uh, it doesn't seem to be up or something's going wrong there. But either way, um, while the city being built is not yet funded, like I said, uh, Lore handpicked renowned architects Bjark Engels Group, which is abbreviated to Big. Um, to be behind the city's structural design. I think I've actually heard of them before somehow, hmm. but I don't know where from. Uh, one mock image features a skyscraper known as the Equitism Tower, which, what? okay. okay. Uh, the, first, the first phase of construction would include 50,000 residents across, across 1,500 acres. Uh, that would need an estimated $25 billion to be built. And the ambitious goal is to welcome residents by 2030. So it really sounds like it's something they want to go ahead with. Yeah. But, uh, by 2030? By 2030? That's like... Less than 10 years? Less than, 10, less than a decade to start like a whole city? Sure. I mean, I guess they have enough resources they could do it. Right. Um, Laura added that Tolosa will aim to be diverse as the most open, most fair, and most inclusive city in the world. Which sounds nice. Um, yeah. I mean, it all sounds nice. I just yeah. think we have a lot of fictional evidence that this will go horribly yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Completely fictional stories have told us that this could go wrong. I just, yeah, I don't know how you actually, like, actually building a utopia just doesn't seem possible. But maybe that's just, maybe just, that's just the pessimist in me. <laughs> well, it sounds like the reason, and I mean, I could be wrong, because there's a, probably a lot of details in this that we aren't going to know right now, but... The reason they're calling it a utopia is just from the sustainability, the sustainability. Right. Yeah. Why can't I say that word? Sustainability <laughs> aspect. Yeah. Right. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. As opposed to like a society that's like free of evil. Yeah. Right. Like as opposed to like there's no. Yeah. There's no evil. There's no ill will in our society. We're right. all friendly neighbors. Like, yeah. So in in that sense, I guess it could become like kind of a model for how 
cities could like existing cities could even be like retrofitted mm-hmm. to to be more sustainable and like more self-sustaining it sounds like yeah that's a big part of it too which like i'm cool. assuming if they're in a desert like they'll have solar panel farms and stuff for their Mm -hmm. energy. And then it sounds like they have a water plant in place. And yeah. And a lot of the mock images that they had included a lot of like greenery, like green, like on buildings and stuff as well. Oh yeah. Supposed to be really good. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. So maybe it could be good. Yeah. Maybe it could be good. It's very interesting. Or, or it's where the end of the world starts. And I'm not (laughs) saying that's what will happen. I'm just saying it could happen. Or it could turn into the city from Bioshock. Well, yeah. But above ground. But above ground. Which is significantly less scary, honestly. Yeah, because you wouldn't be as trapped there. Right. Though you are in the middle of a desert, so. So are you trapped? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> if the producers and if the developers of Bioshock are listening, there's a, there's the proposal for your next one. <laughs> yeah. You've been underwater, you've been in the sky, how about a desert? <laughs> yeah. All right, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. The macaroni and cheese ice cream isn't here yet. Ah! Ah! Ready, set, go! Go! Okay, this is a story posted on delish.com. And the headline is, How to Win a Weekend Getaway in a Potato-Themed Hotel. And I love this. Where do I sign up? I'm ready. So, um, McAllister's Deli, which I don't know what that is. Apparently it's a national deli chain. I don't know. Is hosting this thing called the Great Spud Getaway. (laughs) And uh, customers can enter for a chance to win a four-day, three-nights, all-expenses-paid trip for themselves and a guest to the potato capital, Boise, Idaho. (laughs) Okay. And you will stay in the Big Idaho Potato Hotel. (laughs) In a room complete with a bed, sitting area, fireplace, all inside a giant potato. What on earth? Is this something they made just for the promotion or did this exist already? It sounds actually like it might already exist, but I just, (laughs) I think it's getting like more um, PR just because of this promotion. Uh Uh-huh. I can't stop laughing at this. Okay. Um. Along with the vacation, the winner will also receive a year's worth of free giant spuds from McAllister Deli. What does that mean? Like baked potatoes? Like big baked potatoes? Oh, okay. A year? For a year. Wow. For free. That's a lot of potatoes. Um, (laughs) This is the picture of the hotel. I can't stop laughing. Just a giant potato with a door in the end. <laughs> I know. I'm like crying. I can't. I can't handle. Why this would is he, so it, funny to me? Is it just in a giant field of dirt? Too? It's like, in like some industrial field. I don't know. <laughs> and there's this like sign with an easel on front of it. Like I don't. Like what is this? That that is so strange. <laughs> I'm like crying, laughing. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. Okay. So you stay in this potato and there's like nothing to do around you. I don't know what, this is just one snapshot. Maybe there's like something else behind the camera. (laughs) I, oh my goodness. This is just, this is great. 
Yeah. And, um, did I mention this? It also says that it's National Potato Month <laughs> okay. this September. Sure. So why not? If you like potatoes as much as I do, <laughs> go eat some this month. I'm way ahead of you. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've had French fries like already like at least twice. Oh yeah, since September started, definitely so. at least twice, oh. multiple times. No, no yeah. question. Oh my god, the tears coming down my face. Okay. <laughs> All right, this is from People.com. Oreo teams with Pokemon for limited edition cookie collaboration. Yes. If you like cookies and you like Pokemon, have I got a story for you. I do like both of those things. Me too. Uh, the two iconic brands are coming together for a limited edition Pokemon times Cross X Oreo pack. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. Oh. Uh, I've never had to say it out loud. Which will pay tribute to some of the most beloved Pokemon in the Japanese brand's 25-year history. Uh, each pack will feature 16 unique Pokemon, such as Pikachu, Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle, all embossed on Oreo's classic chocolate cookies with vanilla cream filling. So the only downside is that they're like just the regular Oreos. Okay. But they have like Pokemon designs on them. That's fun, I guess. Um, they said just like in the Pokemon world, some Pokemon Oreo cookies will be harder for collectors to find than others. Uh, in fact, Ooh. each pack is randomly filled with Pokemon characters. So, like, so, and some of them are printed less. Like, Mew is one of them. Is like a mythical Pokemon from the first generation. That's okay. Cool. That's fun. There's supposed to be like one of them in existence. So that's like the rarest cookie in this pack. So I thought that's that's kind of clever. Um, but it's also only 16 different Pokemon. There's literally like over 800 at this point. <laughs> it seemed just kind of like they artificially limited themselves, uh-huh. and they could have. They have some really obscure ones on there too. Hmm. Anyway. Um, those looking to participate can pre-order the cookies starting Wednesday on Oreo's official website. Um, and otherwise, the cookies will be available at nationwide retailers starting Monday, September 13th, while supplies last. So, Is there any mention of a prize if you collect all the Pokemon? No. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get anything except a good feeling. And then, I guess, also you'll have cookies. Which is nice. Yeah, that's, that's nice. Oreo's great. I love, I love Oreo's. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This is from ArsTechnica.com. <laughs> I said that a little too fast.